Church. The reading today is from 2 Timothy 2, reading verses 14 to 26, and it's headed dealing with false teachers. I'm reading from the NIV. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wooden clay, some for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nicola. Uh, God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let me pray, and we'll jump into it a bit more. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks to us across the ages, Lord. Uh, Great truths are given to us in your book. Lord, we just pray now as we come before it and we open our hearts and our minds to its message. Lord, you might speak to us wherever we are at, Lord, with you, Lord, whether we've had... A good week or a hard week, Lord, whether things are going great or things are struggling, Lord, we pray that you might speak to where we're at and we might hear your word in it. Lord, I pray you help me to speak truthfully and clearly of your word that we might get heaps out of it today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're at the end of our series of um, Letters to the Apprentice. We are um, into 2 Timothy in this great little passage here. But I wanted to start by talking about um, great groups or great pairings that were cut short because of disagreements. I'm going to start with a sports analogy. I'm sorry, everyone that doesn't care about sports, but sports. Um, One of the famous ones, there was these two people in the NBA called Shaq and Kobe, and they were like one of the best pairings of all time, but they didn't like each other. That was part of the problem, you know? Kobe was famous for being kind of like this ultra-competitive work every moment I can, and Shaq kind of enjoyed his life a bit more. He'd always be angry at Fat for coming, Fat, angry at Shaq for coming in Fat into into training camp. Anyway, one one season they went to the to the um the, the front office and they said pick one, 
And the, that season, Shaq ended up over in Miami, right? One of the greatest pairings split up early because of personality problems. Um, musicians perhaps do it even more than most, don't they? You know, famous band breakups, you know, the Beatles, perhaps that was like the, um, the, the group that invented the band breakup, you know, it was like this worldwide news, the Beatles have broken up. Uh, if they invented it, probably Simon and Garfunkel perfected it. They did it pretty well. They certainly didn't get on very well. You know, the police broke up, Destiny's Child broke up, even One Direction. <laughs> oh, it was a sad day, wasn't it, guys? Wasn't it a sad day? But disputes and arguments, they can be the downfall of any sort of a group, team, pairing, collective of people. And um, as Paul writes to Timothy here, he recognises that the church is no different. That uh, internal divisions, argues, quarrels, all of those sorts of things can be the downfall of any great church. So Paul writes to Timothy to warn him against the dangers of such division. Uh, let's have a look at verses oh, 17 and 19. I, I, won't, I won't read them out, but um, this is the section when Paul is kind of speaking directly to some of these false teachers in the church. Uh, and you'll have noticed that through these two letters, this is the recurring theme, that Paul is speaking directly to some people that are um, bringing different teachings into the church, that are confusing people, that are creating all sorts of challenges for those that are in the church. Uh, and here, Paul talks specifically about some divisive characters that are creating division, creating arguments, creating quarrels. And what he's doing is he's contrasting how Timothy should behave compared to how these characters are behaving. He's like, what they are doing will never progress the church. But here is the alternative, right? He's giving him the alternative option for how the church is to progress. And by progress, what I mean is grow in um, faith and maturity and in its mission together. Timothy is being set up to be put in the right position to progress the church, to uh, grow in maturity, the people that are there, to push it towards its goals. And he makes a number of points to Timothy as to how this should come about, how it is you should best progress the church. Um, so let me start with the first point where he collects a few passages together. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit small, that's okay. Um, I'll read them out. You can let me know if you, can, if you pick up on the theme here. In 14, he says, Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. 16, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. They must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. You might have picked up on the theme there. He's making it pretty clear, isn't he? The church cannot progress if there is division and bickering amongst its people. Pretty simple point in a lot of ways, isn't it? How can the church go forward in growth, in maturity, in its mission, if there is all this internal squabbling and bickering and division? Um, there were these two characters 
in church history that are pretty, pretty well known, particularly in, in our denomination. This is um, John Wesley and George Whitfield. So Wesley was famous for kind of starting the um, Methodist movement, which is the Uniting Church, is uh, uh, the combination of some Methodists and some Presbyterians and some Congregationalists, so part of our um, history and tradition. And uh, these two characters were quite a famous pairing because they were these really two powerful partners in this great revival in the 1700s that swept across um, America and the UK. They were based in the UK and they went to the Americas and did a lot of their work. Um, Amazing, in in terms of like mission and ministry, like success like hadn't been seen in thousands of years, you know, as in like People were, were, were coming back to church in their droves. People were finding a, a, a heartfelt faith again. It wasn't just a series of customs and rituals, but it was things that people believed in their hearts and they did in their actions. And, that, you know, it was this great revival, this, this famous time. In the peak of all of this success, the two of them have this debate, this, 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 this argument, this quarrel that eventually leads them to splitting ways. It was over a particular theological issue. It was, it was, it was Calvinism versus Arminianism. I'm not going to go into the details to bore you all. If you're interested, come and ask me later. But the point is that it wasn't that different, these two ideas. Um, so fervently were they entrenched in their sides that they parted ways. You think to yourself, wow, at the height of the success of all they were seeing, like, like the world is, a, is aflame with, with what the Spirit is doing. And yet, even at this point, they quarrel over some point of theology in part ways. Eventually, they do kind of make up and, and, um, uh, and come back together. Um, but history looks on that time and that moment, and I just shake our heads and we go, what were they thinking? You know, like, like every, every lecture I've ever heard that talks about it is just like, oh, if only they'd... I think they kept working together. Like, who knows what could have come? Like, even more could have been done in this amazing time and moment. It's a simple reality, isn't it? A house divided cannot stand, right? That's what Jesus tells the Pharisees. He says, a house that is divided, it cannot stand. Um, And if you want the church to progress, if you want the church to go forward, to grow in maturity and faith, to do its mission, a house divided will never it will never prosper. It will never um, move forwards. Paul says, you know, there may be things that are worth arguing about. He, he um, relents to this, this reality. But he says, when you are confronting someone you disagree with, you should instruct your opponents gently. That's his instruction to Paul. If you disagree on something, even something you might bitterly disagree on, instruct your opponent gently. You, it's with love that you have this conversation. It is not to win an argument, to, to win people to your side over theirs, to set these two camps up in the, the community that believe you and believe the other person. No, no, the way Paul paints it is completely different. You know, and as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about all of the issues, even in the last roughly, what is it, 45 odd years of the Uniting Church, all of the issues that we have confronted as a church um, and how every time we've hit one of these issues we have not progressed but we've probably regressed you know we haven't gone forwards we've gone backwards there's been all sorts of them hasn't there you know at the start it was arguments about baptism adult baptism versus 
um, child baptism, there's been debates about um, sexuality, there's been debates about same-sex marriage, all these sorts of things. There was even a big hoo-ha about the bicentennial in 88. That was, I, read that in a, I read that in a book once and I was like, really? Okay, well, there you go. Um, we will find just about anything to argue about and disagree on. But the point that Paul is making to Timothy is that if this is what we are doing, then the church cannot progress. It can't go forwards. At best, it can, it can settle in the status quo, but reality, it will go backwards. The church cannot grow in times of division. And when there are opportunities or moments when you feel the need to discuss differences, instruct your opponents gently. Paul goes on to this interesting analogy he gives about a house. He says in verse 20, in a large house, there are some articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wooden clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. The second point after um, Paul tells them not to argue and bitter, not to divide yourself, is that we should aim to be vessels for noble purposes. We see Paul using this um, analogy of, a, of a, a wealthy person's house with many objects. You know, the common person wouldn't have many objects. They would only have very few objects, and every object they had would have a use. But in this, in this analogy, it's a large house with many different sorts of objects. Some are made of uh, gold and silver. Some are made of metal and steel, and some are made of wood and clay. Uh, and the point he's making is the ones that are made of metal and steel, the ones that are made of gold and silver, these are used for noble purposes. These are used um, for meals and for eating and for entertaining guests, right? Well, the other ones, the wood and the clay ones, they're the ones that are used for the common purposes, which would have been like taking out the rubbish or like getting rid of the sewage out of the house, you know, like the, the, the dirty work. Um, Paul is posing this question and saying to them, which, which would you like to be? Would you like to be the instrument for noble purpose or would you like to be the one for common use? Would you want to be the one that God uses for, for these good and noble purposes or the one that takes out the garbage? For the church to progress, we need vessels for noble purposes. We need people who have heard the gospel truth and have taken it into their hearts and want to turn that into service for, for the kingdom of God. God will use those who are keen to be used. He will use those who want to be uh, vessels for noble purposes um, for the work of the kingdom. And I think that's a helpful idea that he kind of sets up these two um, options. And he says, which would you prefer to be? The answer is obvious, isn't it? He says, well, to be, to be a, an object for noble purposes is something to seek. This is something to, to, to strive and to work for. We should be people that use our giftings and our skills for kingdom work. In Segovia in Spain, I probably pronounced that terribly, there is this beautiful aqueduct. And uh, it serviced the town there for 800 years, bringing water down from the mountains. Um, it was an amazing feat of engineering that it stood for so long and that it continued to work for so long, that they were literally relying on it still 
in, um, in the, the 20th century to provide water to this town. Uh, it came to the 70s, 1970s, and they said, we really should modernise. We, really, we can't be using this aqueduct. So they got, you know, um, pipe system and they, and they, and they thought, well, let's, let's um, block off the aqueduct um, so that it will, you know, it, it, so give it a rest, you know, that it'll, it'll be there for the future generations to enjoy this beautiful um, piece of architecture. But a few years after doing that, after modernising their, their, their water system and shutting off the aqueduct, the aqueduct started to, de to degrade. It started to fall apart. Um, the mortar started to dry out. Uh, it, it started to pull away from the stones. The structure of the, of the aqueduct started to become um, less sturdy. It started to lean in sections. They had to do all this work to put it back together. 800 years of work 800 years of use, and it had held up perfectly, but in only a few years of retirement, it had nearly been destroyed. It was created for service. It was not created to be idle. We are God's vessels that are created for service. We are God's, uh, God's vessels that are created not to be idle, but to be used for the noble kingdom purposes that we have been created for. And the question that must come up for us out of this is, are we being used for God's kingdom purposes? Are we making ourselves available to be vessels to be used for God's noble purposes? Uh, and finally, Paul says in verse 22 to Timothy, pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. For the church to progress and to grow in faith and maturity and its mission, we as its people need to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Ernest Shackleton in 1908 set out for a trip to the South Pole. There were a few around those times. A lot of them didn't end well. Um, this was one that didn't end well, but it wasn't as bad as others. They, uh, they set off, you know, they, they camped winter and they, during the winter and they got all their, their, their resources and stuff ready. And then as soon as, as, soon as the sun started to rise, you know, literally, um, they, they headed off on their expedition um, to give themselves the most time in the, in the daylight months to travel to the South Pole. Um, after only a few weeks, they needed to turn back the horses that they'd brought to carry their goods are all dead. Their supplies are dwindling. And they returned back to uh, base camp. In total, they trekked for 127 days on next to no rations. Things were looking pretty grim. Uh, but Shackleton uh, writes in his, his, his memoir and his journals that they uh, entitled The Heart of the Antarctic um, that as they walked, all they talked about was food. He said all we talked about was food. We talked about banquets. We talked about, like, delights. And we talked about um, bakeries and uh, pastries. And he says it's, it, we were obsessed. The only thing we seemed to be able to think about was food. Those that are truly hunger are obsessed with being fed, right? Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. 
Blessed are those who hunger and righteous, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why is it that they are blessed? Because they will be filled. Paul says for the church to progress, we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for faith, for love, and for peace. And there's something in that analogy that speaks to me. There's something in that analogy that really speaks to me. Am I someone that hungers for these things? Or am I just content? You know, there's, a, there's those times in my life when I've tried to lose a bit of weight and done some calorie counting, and your mind does strange things. You know, like you see like a Mars bar in the bin, you go, ooh, I could eat that. You go, I don't need to eat bin food, right? The point of this isn't that, that, that I, you know, I'm, I'm scrounging for food, that I'm trying to stay away from it, right? But hungering for something means that there's this new next level of wanting and desire. I think the problem is often that we're not hungry for, for righteousness. We're, we're not hungry for these things. Um, we're, we're content. It's like we've had a meal and we're just sitting down and we're content. Paul says to Timothy, you need to pursue this. You're not there. You haven't arrived. You don't have it all yet. You haven't figured it all out. You haven't got your righteousness sorted and your faith and your love. And You need to pursue it more, right? There's, there is a lot more work to be done. This essential ingredient for progression of the church is that its people continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to not think that We've had our fill already. Sadly, I feel like I often see churches or the church which is no longer hungry. They look like they've had their fill. And often I get into situations when I feel like I'm in this kind of spiritual desert, when I'm just with um, a bunch of people that are just so spiritually dry. They've lost this hunger and in those churches where the people have lost their hunger to pursue for righteousness they're not progressing those churches are not going forward they're not growing in numbers they're not growing in faith and maturity they're not growing in finding their mission because they're just kind of content and and sitting back with what they have Um, those churches are the ones that are fading away and what would Paul say to them Paul would say pursue righteousness hunger and thirst for what God has for you. There is more to church than like, you know, ritual and institution. There's more to church than a building that you should be seeking after the spirit. And don't be content with where you are at, but know that God wants more. So there is this um, beautiful encouragement that Paul writes to Timothy here in thinking about the future of the church, how to progress the church, how to take the church forwards. He gives him these um, three things. He tells him to uh, seek peace with his brothers and sisters rather than division, even if you disagree, even if you bitterly disagree. Never seek division, but seek unity. He says to him, uh, make sure that you are a vessel for noble purposes, that you are a vessel that is being used for the kingdom work. And he encourages and reminds him to be hungry for righteousness, to not be content with where he is, is. Do not lose that hunger, but continue to search for it and seek it in your own life, that you might inspire that hunger in others. Band, why don't you come up? Um, I'll pray for us quickly and we'll have our, our final song together. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we get as your people to gather here together and hear your word. And Lord, as we hear your word, uh, we are not just hearing an old dusty book. We're not just picking up a, uh, a passage that's been read you know, for a long time by, by old dusty people, Lord. But what we're, what we're picking up is, is your living, breathing word, Lord. Your, your word that is alive today. Your word that speaks and speaks anew to every generation that reads it. Lord, your word is like a double-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow. And I pray for us today, Lord, if anyone here is feeling a little bit disturbed, a little bit cut, a little bit shaken up, a little bit changed, I pray, Lord, that yeah, you might not let us be content in that, but let us to pursue more and seek something else. Lord, I just thank you that uh, you give us these opportunities to come and gather together. Lord, and the beauty of gathering, gathering together is that we're with brothers and sisters. We're with our family. And that whether our week has been good or our week has been hard, we know that there's people for whom we can share and we can rely on. Lord, let this place be a place of unity and oneness. Let this place be a place where um, our purpose is one together, where our goal and our mission is one together. And even though there might be things where we disagree or think differently on, Lord, let that never be an obstacle to our unity and our oneness together. Lord, we just thank you for bringing us to this place, bringing us here today. Uh, and we just pray that we'll continue to meditate on these things as we head out into the week ahead of us. We thank you for this. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song. I'm not sure if we've done it before, perhaps a while back. It's a beautiful song and it's kind of a, a modern take on um, It Is Well, if you know the old hymn, It Is Well. It's, it's, it's a beautiful one. So if you're unfamiliar with the words, that's all right. Give it, a, give it a little bit till you're comfortable in joining in. But let's stand together and sing. <laughs> 